0: Let's look at our second reading, First Samuel 19, uh, 1 through 7. I'm going to go all the way through to chapter, I mean to verse 24, but I'm going to read to you uh, through the first seven verses. First Samuel 19, 1 through 7. Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David, so Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hands and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause?" Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. The word of the Lord. Um, As I said, we're going to go all the way to the end here. Uh, But I hope to explain that as we move through the sermon. But as we think about this, the title is God is Your Protector and Your Deliverer. Maybe Honor needs to hear this as she leaves. Maybe we all need to hear this uh, this week. As we study the life of David, we understand that David's life is not exactly like ours. Uh, David is appointed and anointed into a very special office as the king of Israel. David is the recipient of a covenant kingship. Uh, This means that David's throne would endure forever. If you go read 2 Samuel 7, that's where the Lord tells him that he will have a kingship. It will last forever. The first son to sit on the throne of David after him was Solomon. And the final son to sit on David's throne is the greater than David, Jesus Christ. He would be born of Mary, a virgin. Conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit, he would be named Jesus by an earthly father named Joseph, who was a son of David. Jesus would be the final son of David to sit on David's throne. So David holds a special place in redemptive history. He's a type of Christ, and we have seen how his life points to Jesus. But what about you and what about me? How does all of this apply to the people of God who know God the Father through faith in this final son, this final David. You and I, we hold a far more modest place in God's kingdom. Your lives are not mapped out for you like David's life was mapped out for him in the scriptures with promises and with appointments delivered to him as the second king of Israel. But even though our names are not written in the Bible like David's, nevertheless, you and I can claim God's God, uh, David's God to be our God. You can claim God's protection. You can claim God's deliverance for yourselves. You can be confident that if you have kissed the Son, as David says in Psalm 2, that you can receive this same God's benefits, these deliverances and this protection. In God's providence, God determined to write David into the story of redemption about 1000 B.C., and in God's providence, he's chosen to write you into redemptive history in 2023 or today. You may not share David's experiences. You will not be anointed to be a king. You will not be out slinging stones with a, a nice sling and killing a giant. And you will certainly not have his wife letting you down through the window to save you from uh, King Saul's hitmen. But you most certainly can take comfort in this Truth that David gives us in Psalm 34, verse 7. This is what he says in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. Now let me reread it. The angel of the Lord still today encamps around those who fear him. Still, his God is our God. And so as we turn to chapter 19, we see that God's is the, the, the protection of God over his people is the theme. In chapter 18, remember uh, je- jealousy. Saul is full of jealousy over David's success against Goliath and the Philistines. And secretly, he wants David put to death. And so he goes through all these dis- different um, Ways of secretly hoping that he dies on the battlefield. But God sabotaged all his secret plans. But now, isn't there, isn't there this new line that everybody's saying? Uh, I hear this, I think, every week. They said the secret part out loud. you know. And that's what he does in verse, nine, uh, verse 1 of 19, chapter 19. Now Saul told Don- Jonathan his son and all his servants the secret part out loud. To put David to death. Everything's been a secret up to now. Now he tells them to do this. And following the king's order, we're going to see God deliver David in four separate episodes. We're going to see it in verses 1 through 7, 8 through 10, 11 through 17, and 18 through 24. And there's two points tonight. God protects His people by means, and God protects His people apart from means. This morning we talked about means, the means of prayer. Well, tonight we're going to see means, we're going to see different means, and we're going to see God work apart from means. So let's look at point number 1. God protects his people by means. God protects his people by means of prudent mediation. I want you to think about Jonathan. Jonathan's a crown prince. He has the most to gain from David's death. And don't don't ever think that King Saul didn't say, "Jonathan, this man's got to go so you can reign." But remember what happened What happened to Jonathan's heart when he saw David out there winning this battle over Goliath? His heart was warmed. He saw this man of faith and he goes over to that man. He he gives his royal garments to this man and other things, his weapons, and he makes a covenant in blood to the death. I will protect you upon the pain of my own death. So here here is Jonathan loving this man. Does he still have David's back now that dad is saying, let's put him to death? Well, let's see. Verse 1 says, but Jonathan saw a son greatly delighted. Maybe we could say still delighted. And he immediately goes and warns David of his father's plan to have him put to death. Tells David to go and hide. And he, he tells him, here's the plan. I want you to hide. And I'm going to go and I'm going to approach my father. And I'm going to talk to my father. I'm going to speak well of him. Well of you to him, and we're going to see how my father responds. Now, I think Jonathan knew that he could possibly persuade his father because earlier in chapter 14, remember how the, the troops came to Jonathan's aid? Jonathan had broken Saul's oath. He had eaten some honey off the ground, and the, the soldiers had persuaded Saul against um, his bent evil course that he was on. So maybe Jonathan could speak well and address his father and change his mind. What well, we see in verse 4, he calls his father the king. He's respectful. He goes to his father and he speaks to him and he says, It would be another thing, father, if David had wronged you. It's one thing if he had wronged you that you wouldn't want to put him to death. But this man has done everything good and you have benefited greatly because of what he's done. He went out and he put his life on the line. He killed Goliath. And he's won a great victory for all Israel. And you, when you saw it, you were delighted. You were pleased. Why would you do this wrong against a man like David by killing him for no reason? So we see Jonathan speaks prudent words. He speaks prudent. Well chosen words he speaks words that would communicate to his father and these words were successful. We see that he listened Saul listened to his son and then David went to I mean uh, Jonathan went to David and informed him that he had been successful and everything went back to normal sort of sort of we're going to get there in a minute but let's let's think about how we can apply that today. Are there Saul's out there today? How does God protect us from people like Saul today? How does Pete God protect us from a boss? Have you ever thought to yourself, and folks, I tell you what, when you do personal training, you think about what I'm about to say every single day. You know that there's a group of people I would train, all ten families that I trained, if one bad thing was said by one of them to the rest of them, I could lose all of them. All of them it's all it all seems like it's all contingent on one statement one text one email whatever it might be and the same thing happens in our in our lives uh, you realize your job your family's lifestyle humanly speaking is totally dependent on your boss and what that boss might say or not say and this is happening all the time how does god protect us well let me tell you how he raises up prudent mediators he raises up people who know your worth and they speak at just the right moment to your boss and explain how, how valuable you really are. He raises up people to help us. Queen Esther spoke up for Mordecai and her people. Remember, she was the queen who was placed before the king for such a time as this. And so she takes her life in her hands and she goes before the king. Remember, he had a rule. The king back in those days had a rule. And if you weren't summoned, you could be put to death or you could have the golden scepter extended to you. Well, he extended the golden scepter to her and she spoke prudent words to him. And then after those words, he was saved. Mordecai was saved. She was saved. And all the Jews were saved. She was raised up for such a time as this. Let me ask you something. Maybe you need to think about this. Do you need to go be a Jonathan for somebody else? Do you need to speak prudent words, well-chosen words for somebody else? I, I, I know this maybe personally, I think it does fit just a little bit, but I'm just going to say this in passing. Uh, Dell Ralph Davis writes this. This, this, is just, this is worth taking home and writing it on the wall. It is amazing how many dilemmas can be resolved if we simply face them and talk them out. Write that down. It is amazing how many dilemmas can be resolved if we simply face them and talk them out. Well, second, God protects His people by means of personal reactions. Personal reactions. So, everything goes back to normal, sort of. In verse 8, we read there where we picked up, we left off at verse 7, we read, when there was war again. And so David, General David, goes out to battle again. And he's victorious again. And we can just imagine that the radio's on and the music starts playing. And Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands happens again. In the midst of all of this, David is also going into the house and David is playing the harp for Saul, who's being tormented by this evil spirit from the Lord who is judging him for his sins. So David's in there plucking away at the notes and David is there. But this time, David is different. David is more attuned to what is going on around him. He's on his guard. And so here's Saul. Saul is being tormented and he has a Spear in his hand. One commentator says he's fingering the spear. And one commentator put it like this he says, Only a deeply troubled individual would sit armed for war inside the safest house in Israel. Can you see this guy? A guy's playing a harp. And I'm, I'm, I know they play like this, right? They play like this, right, Ben? And, and this guy's over here got a sword, I mean, a spear in his hand. And he takes the spear out and he lunges forward and he throws a spear and it sticks into the wall because David, when he sees him moving, he makes his own move. He understands he needs to be at the ready. And the Lord protects you by means of your own personal reactions, your own reflexes, if you will. Here we see God is sovereign and man is responsible. And you and I, no doubt, David trusted in God. But David also, no doubt, watched Saul, and he was ready when he made his move. I remember when I went fishing in Tifton, Georgia, I was so excited. Tim and I, we, we got in the car, and we drove from Fort Worth all the way to Tifton, Georgia, and we're walking around this lake, and, and it, it, I don't think anybody had fished in this lake for 20 years. I was catching a fish almost every time I threw it in. I really wasn't paying attention. I turned to my left and I saw the biggest snake that I had ever seen in my life. And I did the flight or fight thing. I started running, screaming. I'm about 28 years old, screaming. <laughs> we went and got a gun. and We killed the snake. But I never walk. I never walk anywhere the same way now. Even when I'm out walking today, I still look it look for the ground. I look for big old long things or little short things. Laying around and if it's if it's a snake, I'm going to do something to it. But that's what we do. God has given us our reflexes and he's given us our reactions and he uses these to save our lives. On the one hand, we trust God. On the other hand, we are ready and we react. Psalm 44, 6 says this. I do not, David says, trust in my bow. And then in chapter 20, Jonathan and David are out shooting bows. (laughs) I don't trust in my bow, but I'm out shooting my bow. I'm going out and I'm going to fight against Goliath in the name of the Lord. But guess what? I'm going to take a sling with me and smooth stones. And I practiced a whole lot. I'm trusting in the Lord. And I'm also taking out and realizing God may use my reactions and my responses in my mind to keep me safe. Oliver Cromwell said he was a military leader. Uh, years and years ago. This is a statement. He said to it in battle. He said to his men, Put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Wet powder won't do you any good, folks. You trust in God, and guess what? God may use you to fight and win the battle. And if you go out and fight, you better have dry powder because dry powder shoots a bullet. So you and I, we are to be responsible how many applications? There was a man who wrote a book years ago. I love this book. Who who moved my cheese? It's really worth y'all reading. It's it's just a short book, but it's about being prepared for transitions in your in your job. I mean, we live in a time. My dad worked in the same job forty two years. You know how many jobs I've had. <laughs> you know how many places Sumter Mark Sumters moved from to, from and to from and to. We don't live in that type of uh, way anymore. We need to be ready for change. And in fact, even if we stay in the same job, we need to be getting that next certification so that that boss knows we're a valuable person in this particular job or corporation. We need to be responsible. Educationally, what do we do? We trust in God and we keep our powder dry by studying as hard as we can and reading and writing the best paper that we can. Spiritually, we, we keep our powder dry by being zealous for the things of God, and we prepare for worship, and we pray, and we take care of our children, and we do the things we do, and then we go and we trust not in those things, but we trust in God alone. We keep our powder dry, and we do what we need to do and be resp- to be responsible, and then we trust in God. Well, third, God protects His people by marital intervention. Marital intervention. Why are we married? Well, we have we have husbands and wives so that they can intervene for us and help us. And so David escapes from Saul. He's thrown the spear at him. He goes back home. And Saul sends his mechanics. Now, do y'all know what a mechanic is? All you guys? Have y'all seen the movie The Mechanic? The mechanic. A mechanic is not a guy, who, this, this mechanic is not the guy who works on a car. This mechanic is a guy who assassinates people. And so the mechanics are at David's house and they're ready to put him to death. And Michael knows the mechanics are outside and he knows that, that, that she knows this. And we don't know how she knows this, but she does know it. It's really interesting to, be, interesting to find out how she knows this. And so she tells David in the house, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. And so she lets David down a window to save his life. And so she's intervened for him. What she does is she takes an idol, a household idol, and she puts it in the bed where he sleeps, puts goat hair on top of it, and covers the idol up as if somebody is sleeping. Now, before we go on, let's just make one note here. Obviously, David and Michael are not equally yoked. And David would never use an idol to worship God. And so we, let's suffice it to say that God is going to use David in spite of this uh, sin in his life. Uh, this sin is going to have some significant marital problems uh, to present significant marital problems in the future. But the chief point as we look at this text tonight is God protects his servant David. When Saul sent the hitmen to David to terminate his life, they knocked on the door. And she comes to the door and she says, He is ill. And can you see her standing there in her robe with the vaporizer running and the thermometer in her hand? He is ill. And he does not need to be disturbed. And she sends him away. And they go all the way back to Saul. This is ingenious. All the way back to Saul, while David runs. David's running to Ramah. David's on his way to see, this, see Samuel and Ramah, and so this buys him some time. And then when when those men get when the hit men get back to Saul, Saul sends them back and says, "You bring him to me, and I'll kill him in his own bed. Bring him back." And so they go back, and she lets them in, and they discover the goat's hair on top of that idol all covered up with a quilt. <laughs> and then Saul says this, Michael, why have you deceived me like this? And let my enemy go so that he has escaped. Well, she deceived her father. I wonder where she learned to do that. Didn't she learn it from her father? He said, this, and then she deceived him again. She said, let me go. This is what David said to me. Let me go. Why should I put you to death? One man put it like this, Dad, I didn't have a choice. You know that guy. He can be such a beast. And so David gets away. Now just, to, just think about the irony here. Saul has been masterminding this marriage of Michael to David in order to cause him to be spiritually harmed by that relationship with the idols. He's done everything he can to have her betray David to him. And now we have both Jonathan and, De- and Michael in covenant relationships with David, protecting David to the death, not helping dad at all. Proverbs twenty six twenty seven says, If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. Saul has planned trouble for David, and that plan for trouble for him is all rolling back on on Saul himself. You know, we look at the devil as he lies and deceives our first Adam of all humanity. And when he murdered Adam with lies and deceit, all of us fell in him and because of this fall all of us are separated from God we will physically die and we're subject to eternal eternal death but when the second Adam came, guess what the devil's plan was it was the same plan he's going to, going to roll a big big stone up the up the top of the mountain and let it roll back down on Jesus and crush him the same. Plan. He whispers murderous thoughts in the ears of the scribes and Pharisees. He whispers murderous thoughts in the ear of Judas, who goes out at that very night to betray Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. And then he leads that group of men to him and betrays him with a kiss. And yet God used his son's death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead to destroy the devil. The devil was rolling a stone up a hill to bring death to Jesus But the stone rolled back down on his own head. There's nothing but the finger of God in all of this. I just, I I wrote in my notes, Oh, Saul, can't you see that your determination to sin is nothing more than a booby trap for yourself? (laughs) It's nothing more than that. Why don't you repent? Well, number one, God protects his people by means. And second, God protects his people apart from means. Now when David left Michael, he fled to Ramah. He went straight to where Samuel lives and he goes to Samuel. And I'm sure that when they were there, that uh, both of them had plenty of commiserating to do. Samuel had mourned over Saul. And now David is mourning over this issue with Saul. And so they are there together. And then a little bit later we see that they move on to a place called Nioth. And Nioth literally means dwellings. Or tents, and most people believe that this was a place where there was a school of the prophets, where Samuel was there teaching prophets, and so now they're in Naioth. And surely, surely, most people would think that Saul would leave the prophets alone. Saul's not going to touch Samuel. He would leave them alone, not intrude on them. But Saul, we're going to find out as we study more that Saul has informants everywhere. And when he finds out where David is, he sends his army rangers out to capture David. How is God going to deliver David this time? Do you think it'll be by means? That's what we think. But this time it's going to be apart from means. And so these army rangers, they go and they find where David's at there in Nioth. And these army rangers are lions and they're tigers and bears, and they get turned into lambs because God incapacitates them. He seizes them by the power of his spirit, and they begin to prophesy and praise. <laughs> and then when Saul finds out he sends another group of army rangers after them after him, and they are incapacitated in the same way. The spirit overwhelms them and they prophesy and they praise. And then he does it again, <laughs> three times. These men, three groups of really, really crack soldiers, they are incapacitated by the power of God. Well, then Saul probably thought to himself, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. So off he goes. And when he gets to Ramah, guess what happened to him? The Spirit of God so overpowered him that what happened? He literally... Okay, now the text says that he was naked in the street all day and all night. But literally it means he took off his outer garments. He took off his royal clothing. And he was basically in his, you know, what are those guys? They call them the skivvies, whatever, in those movies a long time ago. But he's in his underwear in front of everybody, humiliated. He's unwilling to give up his royal position. And God forces him to, incapacitates him. And he takes off his royal garments. God proves, God proves he doesn't need means To stop this from happening. He doesn't need means. Sometimes the Lord works apart from means. And listen. To make it clear. That He is our deliverer. And our protector. And He wants to make it very clear to us. That He's doing this. Jesus is teaching in the temple in John chapter 7. And the army rangers, the temple guards are sent by the Sanhedrin and they're sent to go get Jesus. And when they get there, they're so arrested by Jesus preaching and teaching that they can't do it. And so they go back to the Sanhedrin and they say, well, where is he? And they said, never has a man spoke like this. They were arrested by Jesus and they couldn't do what they were sent to do. And the same thing happens in Acts chapter 9. We talk about this. I like to talk about Saul all the time. But Saul is there to arrest Christians, and he's arrested by Jesus, and he's incapacitated. King Saul, stop kicking against the goads. God is our protector, and sometimes he uses means, and sometimes he works apart from means, and he makes it abundantly clear to us. I think this. there's a a couple more applications, and we'll be done, but let me listen to this next one. God's protection of you may be clearly evidenced in that you live another day. There's a there's a those twenty four. I think the ninth season is live another day, man. Live another day, man. How do you know Jack Byers alive? Well, he's living another day, man. David should be dead in chapter 18. David should be dead in chapter 19. And then you get to chapter 20 and David has fled to Nioth. And yet he's still alive. He's fled to Nioth. He's there with Samuel. Everything's upside down in his life. But one thing for sure gives us assurance that God has not deserted him. He's still living. and He's living another day. We tend to think sometimes that success means that I've gone through the trial and I'm sitting in front of the TV and I'm watching a movie with my wife and it's all over. But many times it's sitting in front of the TV and it's not over. It's going to bed and it's not over. But I'm still alive. And the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is that you're still here. You're still here. That boss is threatening, and you still have a job. Your kids are difficult, but you're still mothering. You're fighting against that sin, but you're still fighting against that sin. You're still praying. Stop and reflect. You are still alive in this world. And the clearest evidence that God is with you is that you're still here. Sometimes maybe you're unburdening your heart to your Samuel. Sometimes maybe you're being saved by a prudent friend who has well-chosen words. Sometimes maybe you have quick reaction times. Sometimes you're being helped by your spouse. Sometimes you're being helped by the sheer power of God who keeps you alive. But you're still here. You're here to live another day. Well, let let me close with this. God's protection of David should prove to us should prove instructive to every Saul who lives among us. Every secret plot of Saul is frustrated. Every plot of Saul in chapter 19 is frustrated, even to the point where he takes his clothes, his royal clothing off and sits in the street all day long and all night long. Saul, all your murderous schemes will fail. Look who you're up against. Stop kicking against the pricks. God is judging him and God is merciful to Saul at one and the same time. If there was a Saul among us, think carefully about all the disappointments. Think about all the frustrations. Every time we refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, think about it. We are simply trying to rule and reign over our own lives and do we feel better and better, or do we feel worse and worse? Every time you finish doing the things your way, it's like bashing your head into a wall. Every time, I, it, every now and then, I'll read somebody and they'll say, "You know, I," st- it's, I, 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 don't, I won't say who it was, but. I read this just the other day. This person said, I started obeying what's in the Bible and my life started getting better and better even though the trials were more and more. How about that? Every time you finish doing things your way, when, when will we come to our senses? Saul is being instructed, is to be instructed, or what will he be instructed or will he harden his heart? It's evident that he's hardening his heart. Saul is taking his stand against the king as we read in Psalm 2. He's telling people to go fight against the king as we read in Psalm 2. And the Lord in Psalm 2 says that He laughs at Saul for going against the king. Wise up, Saul. Be warned. And think about what you're doing. Think about who you're up against. Wise up and kiss the Son. Submit to the Son's will. Turn your back from sin and turn yourself to Jesus Christ who will forgive you for your sins lest He be angry and He condemn you. But if you come to Jesus Christ, He will be your refuge. If God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. In Stirling, Scotland, there stands a a giant castle. You can look this up on the internet. There's this castle in Scotland. It's beautiful. And it's been there since 800 years, I think. It was built on a rock and surrounded by three steep cliffs, making it impregnable to all enemies. And so from the walls, you can see beautiful mountains, green valleys, and a flowing river. The castle was, has withstood eight different sieges over 800 years. And within the walls, there's the palace where the king lives. James V was there in 1314 when Scotland won its independence from England. The king and his wife were safely there in their protected walls of that castle. It was equipped with a bowling green and beautiful gardens. And where they were, it was full of peace and tranquility. The same is true for all of us who take refuge in Jesus Christ. There are going to be sieges in your life. There are going to be battles in your life. But your Lord Jesus Christ surrounds you with His favor and unseen protective hand. He's guarding our hearts. He's directing our every detail of our lives. He's the one who keeps you safe in the midst of the battle. He's the one who guides you and makes your feet like hinds feet. So you can stand on your high places. Saul, the Lord pleads with you. Give it up. Stop the siege. Kiss the sun tonight. Then you will find Him to be your castle of refuge. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for how You make sermons blend together from morning to evening. We thank You for the means of prayer as You use prayer, uh, Lord, to preserve us from death. We thank You for means We thank you for prudent words spoken by friends, sometimes even people we don't know. We heard that even the past week about someone who spoke up for one of our men and helped him out. We thank you for marriage and for marital intervention. We thank you for the abilities you've given us to reason and think and react and reflect. And uh, Lord, for our reflexes. And Lord, we thank you also for knowing that you protect us quite apart from all means. That you stop the enemy from doing harm to us many times. Maybe when we don't even know. But we do praise you. We do thank you for taking care of us and being our protector. We pray, Father, that each one of us throughout the week, that we would find ourselves kissing the sun. We would find ourselves worshiping at his feet. That we would trust in him And walk about, Lord, ready to do your will. Help us now as we leave to walk with you. Help us love each other. Love those children that are in our arms. And then go out and do our work. And Lord, help us prepare, even from tonight, to get ready to worship with your people again next week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.